Thanks for joining me, Pete Holterman, for the Credentials Only Podcast, where you are introduced to people who work in sports. Today's guest, Joel Lamp, is an author who has published the novel Chasing Glory about small-time college football in northern Alabama. Joel's career, however, is in the very real business of sports tourism, an industry that, according to the Florida Sports Foundation, sees more than 16 million people visit the Sunshine State and has an estimated annual economic impact of over $57 billion. Yep, that was with a B. Joel has been a part of that industry for more than a decade, bringing events like Davis Cup Tennis, International Soccer Friendlies, and even the U.S. Curling Nationals to Florida's Northeast Coast. He's also helped stage the NCAA Basketball Tournament in Jacksonville four times, which has created one of his most indelible memories. The first one has got to be me being on one shining moment. (laughs) I think now I'll get in the NCAA tournament every year. Not only has Joel worked a wide range of events, he's done so from a variety of perspectives, including working for universities, city government, and in the private sector. Regardless of his organization, the events business has been a constant drumbeat. For us in, in this kind of tourism sports industry is, you're, you've got the events you're running, but you're also always working on what's the next event down the road. So you may have four to five events going at the same time and that you're working on, and you're also trying to secure the next wave of events. That pace, especially when it gets to be event week, can be grueling. I think the biggest thing is just making sure you're, you're getting rest, but it's also – as, as you know, there are peaks and then there are the valleys and really unplugging yourself in some form or fashion to get away from it. While you listen, visit credentialsonly.com for show notes that include more information on what we discuss in this episode. And please take a moment to leave a review wherever you access podcasts. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with the Senior Director of Events and Tourism for Airstream Ventures, Joel Lamp. On credentials. Joel, how many ice rinks are in the city of Jacksonville? Two. So in this football town, a Super Bowl host city, home of the Gator Bowl, the Florida-Georgia rivalry games, so many other great football games over the years. What was kind of the gut reaction to people when you suggested, hey, let's host the U.S. Curling Nationals? It was interesting that uh, every reaction was like, curling? What is that? That's the thing with the brooms and the rocks and the, yeah, that's, hey, that's the one that they yell a lot. And so as we kind of started building that, the event and the bid for it, it was like, we started going through and we're like, look, we're in Florida. There's a handful of winter sports we can host in Jacksonville why not host curling and the opportunity to host a national championship is pretty special. And the fact that we can get a winter sport national championship in Jacksonville at one of our two ice rinks, let's do it and see what happens. And sure enough, uh, you know, in a six to eight month process, we went through the bid process and then they're like, Hey, we really want to come down and look at your arena. We think we can do this. And it's like, Holy are y'all really serious about this? And, and from there, it was off to the races. And it was unique for them as well, because they've often had these in smaller venues and you were able to offer them a big arena, which 
besides the warm weather, that had to be some appeal for them. The, there are a lot of reasons for them to – selfishly, there's a lot of reasons. We always say there's a lot of reasons for you to come to Jacksonville. Um, but for them, it was a huge opportunity to bring their biggest event to the southeast. It's an area that they're trying to grow the sport. And so now, hey, look, all the clubs in uh, the southeast can now kind of converge on Jacksonville as well as starting a club in Jacksonville, which you and I have both been able to participate in a couple nights. But it's it was a unique opportunity because of where USA Curling was at that point in time. Uh, they were in a they're and they still are in a growth stage, but it was in the middle of the lead up to the 2018 Olympics. So that midpoint is where teams are kind of getting shuffled for a two-year push to make, be the Olympic team. And so uh, we had John Schuster's team here, and they end up winning the gold medal. And uh, But the, the irony of it is they finished second here in the Nationals. Um, and then on the women's side, the women's team – that went to the Olympics didn't even make it to the finals, I believe of, of ours. So it, it was a unique opportunity for us to get uh, a good temperature on who was going to be in the Olympics and get to see them firsthand up close and personal for USA curling. It was a great opportunity for them to see what it's like to put their event in a major arena. Uh, they, this is where they need it to go for the sport to continue to grow and for, for them to kind of test run it here outside of a non, uh, Olympic trials event was a huge opportunity for them. And now they've kind of been able to take a, a lot of the elements that we started making it fan friendly, bringing the scoreboard into the, the video boards, into the conversation having a learn to curl lane right on the ice. Um, most of the, the couple site visits I did to the venues that hosted before us, they had a separate rink that hosted the learn to curl. We don't have a separate rink. So it was like, <laughs> to find a way to cut off part of our rink to make a learn to curl area. It's not a full, full sheet, but these people don't need to learn on a full sheet. They just need to get on, throw a rock, Go sweep a little, and they're like, oh, okay, this is a lot. It's Boy, this is a lot harder than – these guys make it look easy. And that opportunity for a lasting impact, is that something that you take into account, you know, the, the opportunity to have a curling club here now or with the other events to have that kind of legacy? That, that was one of the things that was the kind of the goal of the curling uh, championships was we wanted to have some lasting – impact not just hey let's check a box heads and beds let's check a box we're booking the arena hey we got a national championship check that box uh, we wanted to be able to have something that lasted out of this and was one of the selling points to usa curling was that we were going to get a club out of this and now here we are in 2020 and we have a curling club in town that's been going for three years and it's all come out of the growth of having the championships here in 2016. So what is the process that you use to come up with ideas for events? Because so much of what you've done has been 
not looking for something inside the box, very much going outside the box, new, different. Well, part of it is, is starting with what do you have from a venue standpoint to work with? Um, we, we have the arena downtown, so we know, okay, here's the, here's the things we can host. And then it's matching it up with some of the partners who are open to outside the box ideas. Um, curling was a great example. They were looking for bids to host their national championship. And they were looking for anywhere and everywhere. Hey, let's throw the bid process, bid process out there. Let's see who replies and come back with it. Um, and then we were like, why not? Let's put something together and see what happens. Um, and lo and behold, we got a national championship out of it. Um, right now, um, we are uh, in the process of rescheduling, hopefully, the uh, USA Cycling Road Amateur National Championships. I mean, it's supposed to be a, a little over a month away from now. But um, when we started looking at it, it was um, – there's no way you could host it in Jacksonville, just shutting down roads and all that. So as we look, we started talking with our friends in Clay County, it was a no brainer for Clay County. Um, it's an opportunity to introduce uh, Clay County to the world a little bit in hosting a national championship, but it's also, uh, they've got a lot of the venues we need. We need two and four lane roads that sometimes aren't heavily traveled and are easy to, um, uh, close off and manage for a road race. And we were able to put that together in five weeks. They called it Christmas. And by middle of February, we were working on a contract to finalize the uh, event. There are a lot of different pieces to any event you put on. You mentioned working with the local government, you've got hospitality, you've got sponsorship and, and all those different aspects of it. How do you start to put all those pieces together, both in terms of kind of vetting who's going to work well with this, but then also just keeping it all organized? Because there are so many disparate parts. I've gotten a big, become a big fan of spreadsheets <laughs> um, and, and, and Google Drive. Uh, it's one of those things where we've got, uh, with, with our company, we've got uh, – everybody's on share sync. And so we've got the cloud and everybody's got access to everything. And the biggest thing is just communication and keeping everybody in the loop on everything. Um, as we're going through these events, it's, we usually have checkpoints uh, about every month with each event coming up. Um, when we go to do, we've got a motocross, major motocross race um, that's getting rescheduled for some time in the future we have checkpoint meetings about once a month to figure out, okay, Hey, where are we on ticketing? Where are we on operations? Hey, this is something we need to look at from a concession standpoint. And we got this covered. Um, Hey, have we talked to the parking guy? Um, the internet in some of these places that we're working at is not internet friendly. I know that's hard to believe in this. <laughs> there are places that aren't, but when we do this motocross event, we had one concession stand that we could barely get Wi-Fi to. Well, then how are our vendors going to be able to do all their uh, take cards? I mean, because there aren't, go back to it. Not a lot of people carry a lot of cash around anymore. And so we got to be able to have process credit cards and piecing all that together. 
And so we, we work, the good thing is we've got a great team and we're always working together on, Hey, here's some things we need to think about how we added this, how we added that, let's put it together and, and make it happen. And that's the big thing is you're, for, for us in, in this kind of tourism sports industry is you're, you've got the events you're running, but you're also always working on what's the next event down the road. So you may have four to five events going at the same time and that you're working on, and you're also trying to secure the next wave of events. Um, and, and like right now we're working on um, our um, high school program. We've got a big, huge TV special that starts Saturday. Um, and we've got about 30 hours of television coverage built around high school graduations. So then we, we've got that going on almost like as our morning job. And then in the afternoon we're working on, Hey, we got to go sell events. We've got a high school football triple header in August. Um, we've got our events in Clay County that we're working on. Um, we've got, uh, uh, our TDC reports that we got to report to the government on. Uh, we've got a, a couple of other things that were, that are in the pipeline, whether it's motocross our music festivals, we're always kind of gotten multiple uh, irons in the fire and we got to work through all those things and keeping everybody on the same page is a huge piece of that puzzle. So there's not only the idea generation, but then there is putting all the logistics of it together and, you kind of touched on it there, but it's, I think an interesting facet of what you have to do is to, it's one thing when you bring curling to an arena that already exists and there's a seating manifest that you can kind of start with and work from, and they're used to bringing people in and out of the venue. When you go and do something at a new venue, you're starting with a blank slate, which is a great opportunity, but also a great challenge. Do you embrace that? I think that, yes. That that's usually the fun part of these the some of the last year year and a half is building these events from scratch. Uh, what, like with the motocross, last year we hosted the the uh, Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Series out at WW Motocross Ranch on the western part of town, and it's a massive tour. We had nineteen thousand people out for a motocross race, but we had to build the tickets. We had to build the manifest. We had to build, Hey, this is a VIP area. This is the concession. And when I say build, we're literally building a tent to build this. Um, we're building a shaded area to do this. Um, we're building the entrances, um, to, to this, Hey, how's the traffic flow going to enter? Um, how are the, how are the fans getting their tickets? And then what's that flow ingress and egress? How do they get to the pits? How do we sell extra pit passes? All of those bells and whistles. Um, it, it makes it fun because you can get creative and do some fun things, but it's also uh, time consuming too, because you don't, it's the opposite of walking into the arena and knowing, okay, Hey, here's your policies and procedures. And it's okay. How do we, snap that around the event, you know, with curling, we walked in and said, okay, Hey, we're hosting curling. Okay. Here's the changes you're going to make to the ice. Um, and here's the changes you're going to make to, you know, we worked with the, uh, arena on a great plan to minimize our staffing costs. We knew during the day 
when we had our first uh, match starting at 8 a.m., okay, there ain't going to be a lot of people in the building. Let's scale down our security, knowing that at night we're going to we will see increases. And so we were able to manage our uh, staffing accordingly, which offered us a huge cost savings in that. And then when you go into the arena with another event you've been a part of a number of times, NCAA basketball opening rounds. And that not only does the arena have its policies and procedures, but the NCAA has this operational guy that is locked down so that the experience in Jacksonville is the same as it is in Milwaukee or Salt Lake or wherever those games are being played. And, and that probably has its own challenges. But when you get into that situation and it's very formulaic, how do you then build that out to still make it unique and make Jacksonville a star of that show? So it, it's funny where, where the NCAA wants it to be, the experience in the arena is the same. doesn't matter if you're Orlando, Jacksonville, Tampa, Miami, Atlanta, Detroit, Madison Square Garden, wherever you go, yeah, hey, the court looks the same. The graphics are the same. If uh, we're going, it's a, it's a media timeout at under 16 in the second half. Hey, let's go take you to Salt Lake. It's the same experience everywhere, which is awesome as a fan and as somebody working the tournament. I know that I'm doing the same thing that the guys everywhere else in the country are doing. Where you're able to make it unique is in the hospitality side, how your volunteers are trained and treated and, and kind of that, the finer touches, if you will, um, making sure that the schools, that the team host, that, that's a big piece of your puzzle in getting the NCAA tournament is figuring out, okay, I got Pete as the team host for Maryland. You go and reach out to Maryland and say, Hey, what can I do? I'm your team host. Glad to be working with y'all this week. And that's where we have gotten great reviews is with our team hosts. Certain teams will tell the team hosts, hey, thanks. We don't need you this week. And then a day later, they're like, oh, by the way, hey, I need some help on this. Da, da, da. And, it's, and sometimes it's random questions. It's, hey, what's, where, where can I go get – where's the nearest uh, uh, pharmacy? Where's the nearest grocery store? I, I'm lost in San Marco. I, I, what is San Marco? Am I in another town? It's all these little things. And so it's having that hospitality piece is a big piece of the puzzle. Um, when the teams get welcome to the hotel, we've got a huge spread of signage. The hotels are all wearing team gear, team buttons, all of those things. It, and we put a big emphasis on all of those elements, but then at the arena, making sure it's a tightly buttoned up event that everybody that is working in the arena, A, knows what's going on with the event, but B, if you don't know, here's the five people you can call to ask a question in your area. And everybody responds right on the, right on those. And I think, you know, the last year's, the 2019 tournament, Jacksonville played host to the University of Kentucky 
and their first round opponent was Abilene Christian. And I think you can't see two greater, you know, it's a 180 degree difference between Kentucky who's done this a thousand times and is such a, a well-run ship to Abilene Christian who is just overjoyed to be there. And I, it, it's interesting to see how you, you do have to treat them the same yet you kind of know walking in, they're very different circumstances. It, it was a, it, that was kind of the fun part was getting to put that one together is um, we've been fortunate. We've had Duke, we've had North Carolina here before for the NCAs, but then it's like you, from my chair, it's always been, I want Kentucky. I want Kansas. I want one of those really blue blood name brand schools you know, we've got Duke and Carolina. Great. We've checked off two of them. Let's go get a couple. Let's go get one more of them, you know, get that experience. And then when we got Kentucky, it was like, oh, boy, here comes the show. And it's one of those things you can prepare mentally for all you want. And the great thing is Eric Lindsay and his staff at Kentucky do a great job of managing them, of managing their media. And so – Having Kentucky here was fantastic. We we had a great experience with them. They had a, a great show, and most everybody. I, I didn't have uh, any issues with the Kentucky side. You go back to the Abilene Christian guys, and they're like, "Hey, what what do I need to do?" And they're calling. They're calling. You know, I, I once we get to selection Sunday, and we find out who the teams are. Part of my job as the media coordinator was always, hey, I need to – I got to call each school's SID and touch base. Hey, what do you need? And the Abilene Christian guy is like, I don't – I, I got to get done with Coach here in a minute, but I'll call you in a while. I don't know. I, I got – I need help. Um, and <laughs> we kind of went through everything. Hey, here's what here's what I need and when I need it. And we went through everything, and uh, they, they had a blast. I think it was a – Memor- I mean, it was clearly a memorable experience for them. And then, you know, the first two minutes of Abilene Christian against Kentucky, it's kind of like, oh, wow, okay. We, <laughs> you know, it's that little wake-up call uh, for them to, okay, the, we're in the NCAA tournament now. This is, this is legit. The NCAA tournament is a unique beast for sure in a lot of ways, both operationally, but also just – it is one of the most, for me, it's my favorite sporting weekend of the year. I mean, the, the action is just so compelling. In the tournament games you've worked here in Jacksonville, what are a couple memories that really stand out to you? Well, first, the first one has got to be me being on one shining moment. And I, <laughs> I think now I'll get in the NCAA tournament every year um, from uh, when uh, Georgia State played here and they are down 10 with three minutes to go. I've already gone over to the Baylor SID. I've told him, hey, here's who CBS needs post-game. And their guy's still nervous as all get out. And I'm like, dude, you're up 10. And, and with my background from having worked at Troy State, Georgia State was always our rival uh, in basketball because that's who – it was us and them in the conference championship game a couple of years and so I'm kind of like, ah, it's Georgia State. This thing's over, whatever. I, okay, hey, I'll see you in a minute. Sure enough, here comes Georgia State. Baylor doesn't score the last three minutes. And the coach's son – so the coach had already torn his Achilles after they won the conference tournament. So we had to get a ramp. We had to build a ramp to get it so he could wheel onto the court. 
and he had his little stool and he's on his stool with wheels and his son hits a 35 footer for three to put him up one or two with like two or three seconds left. He falls off the stool right in front of me on press row, on the scores table. And so all three of us, the two people sitting next to me are all arena staff people. And we're all like, what the heck? We're all like jumping up trying like, and, and we're standing there. It's not like we're going to come across and like go jump up and there are trainers sitting next to him. She doesn't know. Everybody's just like, what the heck do we do? This guy's laying on the floor. We're like, do we call an ambulance? I mean, it was, it was one of the things like, oh, crap. We had, hey, let's hold on just a second. Let's let this thing play out on the court, and then we'll go deal with this. And Baylor called timeout, thankfully, so we could get him back on the stool. He's torn his Achilles again. It was it was a zoo. So that that will always be one of the memories. Because and, and the big thing is, so then, so now that's a great experience, great memory. I'm now going to be. I'm in the background of one shining moment for the next fifty years. It's awesome. Problem is, I now have to get the coach and his son from that side of the court to the other side of the court to do the CBS interview, and I've got to get them. Got we got to get the next two teams on the court because they get the clock's rolling on the next. We got to get started. So I got this. I got the NCA guys like, hey, we got to go. Get get them. I've got them yelling in one ear. I got them hugging and crying. Everybody's crying. I'm trying to get Georgia State off the floor. The Panthers flying the flag. Everybody's hugging and it. It's an amazing moment, but it just shows you how much that one, those tournament wins are how special they are. And especially those upsets when you've got the smaller schools, the Cinderella's and we've had, we've had a couple of those here. Uh, we had Cornell in 2010. They, they get on a run and just start shooting the lights out and make it to the sweet 16. And it's like, Holy man, you know, those guys, the, the, the best is after you lose in the tournament, you get your, you get a game ball. That's hey, this just signifies it's something you can put in your trophy case and everything. So the Cornell um, senior associate AD comes up to me. He's like, "Hey, when do we get our basketball?" And I'm like, "You don't get one this weekend." And he's like, "What?" And I'm like, "You get it when you lose. So if you you know if you don't lose until the national title game, that's when you get your ball." And he's like, "Oh wow! Oh oh awesome!" <laughs> It, it was one of those things that, you know, it was, it was kind of like, it, it just dawned on them because they're used to, uh, at the time, Cornell had gone like the back-to-back tournaments or maybe three-peat, somewhere in there. And they, they were like, oh, well, we need to get our basketball to put in the place <laughs> and all that. And it's like, well, you can wait this year. Um, so it, we, we've had a lot of fun hosting it. It's, it's, it's an amazing event. And, the, and you make so many friends out of working this over the years. The, the team in Indianapolis, um, we've gotten to be really good friends with. And love, And it's one of those things now it's kind of like if you're not talking to them like once a year, it's kind of like when you do pick up the phone, it's like, hey, you just pick up <laughs> friends just right where you left off. And, and that's the thing. We've been, we're, we've been working on NCAA tournaments here for 15 years. And we've had – We've worked with a number of different people with the NCA, and every one of them has been a fantastic experience. And 
it's it's the it's the one event that kind of resonates a little bit afterwards because you know a one-off football game is it's it's special but it, it happens annually with this being an every five year five to six year deal it's it's pretty cool when you get it it's it's special that you've done your job to get it back here again and you mentioned the 2010 tournament and at that time, you were actually working for Jacksonville University. And you're there hosting Cornell, Temple, Wisconsin. That's the year Duke came. And yet the Dolphins are still playing as well. So you're here hosting this tournament while your, your own school is out playing in the NIT. That was a, that was a fun selection Sunday night. Um, we, were, we had lost in the conference championship game. And we got just – it was one of those games where the game's over at the first media timeout. Um, you know, we go to the first media timeout, it's like 14 to 2 or something. I've already written my game story. Hey, we're playing in the NIT again, um, and we'll find out Sunday night after 9 o'clock. And so we're we're at the arena doing our NCAA tournament stuff and we're waiting to hear from the NIT, okay, hey, where are we going? And there was no we knew we would be an eight seed in the NIT. And we know we're going on the road because we were playing our home games at the arena and there's no way they were letting us play a home game on campus. And so uh when we get the call at like ten thirty by the way, your first-round game is at Arizona State. The year before, our first-round game was at Florida. And so we were able to make that trip. But, uh, you know, we, we took the team down at the early to let them spend the night and kind of get do their normal pre, pre-game routine, and we still got beat 20. So, <laughs> team, everybody returns, and now we've lost in the conference championship game, but we've had 10 day, two weeks to get over it. And now here we go. Let's go to Arizona State. And the team flies out. It is one of those things. Our team never flew charters. So now we're flying a charter flight from Jackson. The team flies charter from Jacksonville to Tempe. Well, we've got an NCAA tournament to run. Thankfully, we were a Friday, Sunday uh, regional. So our game was on Tuesday night at I think we tipped off at like 1130 Eastern time. We fly, uh, me and our athletic director fly out of Jacksonville Tuesday morning commercial at like 10 a.m. We make it to Arizona State an hour before tip off. We catch the team bus. We get over to the arena. And the next thing you know, we're down six, I think, with, six or eight with four minutes to go and Arizona state scores one point. I think during that whole stretch, the best free throw shooter in school history has two free throws to ice the game with 10 seconds left and misses the second one. So now we're only down two. our school's second uh, all time lean scorer banks in a three off of a double screen and now we're up one. I've got the I've got the uh, super the NIT sends like a person who's the kind of official um, executive for the NIT representative. 
he's sitting next to me and we hit the three and I'm like, I slapped the living crap out of this poor guy. And I'm like, oh my God, we're going to the second round. Our play by play guy. I got, I'll send you the link to the YouTube. You got to listen. He's going nuts. You got artist Gilmore. Who's in the basketball hall of fame as the color guy. He's just in there. Oh, oh, nothing but gibberish coming out of our radio team. I'm running around. It's two o'clock in the morning. I've been up for 20 hours at this point. I've got to go get coach Ben Smith, our leading scorer. I got to get them over to TV. I'm trying to scramble and hope to God I can get a picture from one of the uh, photographers of the guy, our bar guy banking in a three. And my phone's blowing up. What's going on? How did this happen? It's, it's nuts. Um, and so, and the kicker is all the East Tennessee people who had just smoked us in the conference championship game, they're blowing up my phone. They're playing, they're getting ready to play the first round in New Orleans the next day. And they're blowing up my phone. This is awesome. This is great. And so now I've got to turn around. So, you know, we know we got to play the second round. And the second round is between like Thursday and Monday is when they've got the scheduled games. So we're begging the NIT guy, look, we're hosting the NCAA for the love. Just give us Monday. Get us to Monday. We're fine. What do we get? We get a call the next morning um, when we're getting on the flight back to Jacksonville. That oh, by the way, you're playing Saturday oh. in Lubbock, Texas, and we're like, that's the off day. Thankfully, it was the off day of us hosting the NCAA's. So now <laughs> the team flies back to Jacksonville and essentially spent spent the night Wednesday night at home, and then fly, flew out like Thursday after late Thursday afternoon. And the school was school's on spring break, so it, we weren't missing class time. So we're hosting the NCAAs through Thursday and Friday. Get through the first round, um, and we get to that next morning. We had a donor step up who said, hey, I want to go watch this game. And so we flew. There was a small private jet. There was like eight of us on the plane, and we fly out to Lubbock, Texas that morning. Because when we looked at, like, commercial flights for us to fly Saturday morning to get there, it was like 1200 bucks a seat. And I think oh, it got, like, we landed, like, 30 minutes before tip-off. And, we're like, and it's, like, three connections. And we're, like, there's no shot that this is going to work. We get to Lubbock, and we jump out 16 to 2 on Texas Tech. And I'm, like, this is going to be – we're going to uh, – now, now at that point, it's, like <laughs> – Oh crap! Master Square Garden is now a potential possibility now, and uh, they got a little home cooking late in the game. We couldn't make a shot the last five minutes of the game, and so Texas Tech beats us. We get back on the plane. I'm at home. I think I left. We left Jacksonville at 9 a.m. I'm back home by 9 p.m. We had the off-day press conferences, no issues there, and then it's get up Sunday morning. Hey, let's go do the NCAA tournament one more time. And got up, we got through that, and mercifully, I think we had a mid-afternoon second-round games, so that way it wasn't – I wasn't having to get – turn around and get up 
like at seven to be there for a noon tip off, but it was, it was nuts. It, it was an amazing experience. We had a blast. Um, that week, event. that week is probably the exception, not the rule, but you go through stretches, especially doing events where you just kind of, you're just looking for any gasoline you can get to pour on the fire just to keep going, to get through it. How do you maintain yourself physically and mentally to stay sharp as you go through some of these events? I think the biggest thing is just taking is making sure you're, you're getting rest, but it's also, as, as you know, there, there, there are the peaks and then there are the valleys and really unplugging yourself in some form or fashion to get away from it. Um, and even during those weeks, like during the NCAA tournament week, uh, last year, um, it's a hundred hour week minimum. And, but taking, uh, I took in two hours on the Tuesday, the or Wednesday, the, the night before uh, we had practices or whatever, I went and watched my kids baseball game. Just that little unplugging was huge for me the rest of the week. Um, and, you know, also the other piece, I think just mentally is making sure and it's one of the things my wife yells at me at is, is making sure you're, you're taking care of yourself. Hey, go get water, drink fluids, um, drink water. Uh, I'm a big connoisseur of diet Coke, so I'll probably pound a bunch of those, but it's also, it's making sure you get somewhat in a routine during those game days, those big events where, okay, Hey, 9am. Hey, it's 11. I haven't had a water today. I need to have my water. A different kind of hydration. What is the world's largest outdoor cocktail party? It's an amazing event in that it is, it's a huge gathering of people around a football game. And half the people there have, are not even going to go to the football game and aren't even thinking about going to the game. They just want to be down there and around the atmosphere. It's an amazing experience you see it with like Super Bowl and some other stuff, but this is an annual event that you see generations of people coming back for. And having grown up in Alabama, I've been to the Alabama Auburn game. I've seen Alabama LSU and Auburn, Georgia, all these other great rivalries. There's nothing like it because Alabama Auburn it's not like the Alabama people and Auburn people tailgate together. The Alabama people are on the outskirts of town and you walk in silently into your part of the Jordan Hare stadium and you go watch the game and then you get out of Dodge. Um, Florida, Georgia, it's amazing because the stadium gets split in half and there's a red side, red and black, and there's orange and blue on the other. And it's split right in the middle of the goalpost in the field. And it's a it's beautiful from that standpoint. But then when you get into the, all the stuff going on outside, you've got people parking next to each other. You got the Florida alum and the Georgia alum who work together in Atlanta, but come down for this, and they're just having a blast, hanging out. It it becomes almost it's almost like a homecoming for the two schools fan bases. Hey, I and there's so many so many crossovers between the two schools that it's such a it's such a friendly atmosphere for tailgating it creates such a huge party that it, it, people just come in just to be part of the pregame party fiesta 
extravaganza, if you will. Um, I, I don't know that there's a word that really the 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 cocktail party kind of gets it, but I it still doesn't fully describe it because you've got people coming in the weekend before to set up their RVs, get their RV spots, all those things. And that doesn't happen very often. That's what, that's what makes it such a special event is the tradition and it being a neutral site. The, the, the tickets literally are split 50-50. And both schools have embraced that through the years. And when, when you go to it, the first, I, I encourage anybody and everybody to go to it at least once because you will see an amazing atmosphere that you just don't find anywhere else in the country in college football. And it's a game that has a ton of meaning. The SEC East championship is usually riding on this game. Uh, national championship aspirations are riding on this game. Um, and you, you've got 150,000 people in the sports complex that and only half of them have a ticket to get into the stadium. It's it's really it's really a cool experience. You mentioned a lot of those great SEC programs and some very rabid fan bases and even SEC hoops with Big Blue Nation in Kentucky. You've also though had the opportunity to work with Team USA on a number of events. Uh, one of them being in tennis, hosting Davis Cup. But you've also had the opportunity to work with a number of different. U.S. soccer teams and different games and when you get to have everybody being on the home team and cheering for Team USA, nearly everybody, what are those events like and when you get into these international competitions, are those different to put on because of that international landscape? Oh, the, the international landscape changes it uh, complete, completely. Uh, when we did the uh, U.S. Uh, send-off game when they played uh, Nigeria at uh, TIA Bank Field, it was an amazing experience because now you've got almost 50,000 people in the stadium all cheering for the U.S. and you've got the flyover and all the bells and whistles that come with it and we did some neat little things leading up to it. We had uh, a couple of the Navy guys come out. We had a veteran of the game get recognized before the game. We did some cool little subtle things to Jacksonvilleize it a little bit. But then when you've got 50,000 people in the stadium for a soccer game, I mean, it's, it was, it was rocking. And when they scored early in the game, that just turned it, that just amped it up even more. And, but it also got on everybody's radar. So now you've got, U.S., the, you got the representative, House of Representatives coming in. You got the senators coming in. You got the go. You got everybody wanting to be there because this is the biggest thing. This is the country shining its spotlight on Jacksonville. Um, when we had the Davis Cup, we've got uh, people from Brazil. They brought a huge delegation up, and it's like, I can't name a tennis player from Brazil, but man, they have really, they're buying into this Davis cup thing. Uh, and that was, that was a blast because we had a whole week of activities leading up to the matches. And when you get those, you're able to create those relationships. And especially, and this is where it really sells for communities is um, for Jackson, it's an opportunity to, you're selling the destination, but you're also selling as a, 
place to work and bring your company and a place to live. And if you're a city like Jacksonville and you're hosting a U.S. soccer World Cup send-off match, well, that means these kind of events are coming to your city regularly. It's a major city. It's what companies are looking for. And that's what there's that economic development piece that kind of comes hand in hand with these sporting events. Uh, and especially with the international stuff. Um, we've seen an uptick with the players um, being at Granite's and Ponte Vedra, but that's right down the road from Jacksonville. Well, now that's another world-class event that's here in the area that showcases Northeast Florida every year. And so it's uh, creating those things, and but using those to help us get more companies. Hey, move your headquarters here. Uh, create, a, create a branch office uh, for the Southeast. Make us your Southeast headquarters. You see a lot of that growth now coming, and it's been coming the last decade, and it's really, it's going to keep picking up steam for, for the area as we continue to get more and bigger events. And you spent nearly five years working for the city of Jacksonville, helping to attract these events and execute these events. But in that role, you also then worked with the existing teams. There are teams that call the city home, the Jaguars, the, uh, then the Suns, now the Jumbo Shrimp, the Armada. As a city employee, how do you get involved and work with these local franchises that are the home teams? Our job was kind of twofold. One, we're, we we were kind of we're the landlord, um, and so we own we own the facilities that they play in. So we've got a, we've got a lease and working with them. But it's also okay. Where are some areas that we can work together on uh, the World Cup send-off match? That was a great partnership with the Jaguars. Um, to and without their support, we probably don't get that match. Um, when we did uh, Country Music Superfest, we did. For two years, we had a two-day country music festival in the football stadium. That was huge. Once again, the Jaguars jumping, all of us working together to do those kind of things. Um, and that, that was kind of the big thing is working, creating those real positive relationships and how can we all work together. You know, the rising tide lifts all boats. If we can work together and bring these events, we can make some great things happen. And um, between that and then um, we have the Florida Florida State baseball game every year. It packs out the baseball grounds and it's a, but it's a week before the jumbo shrimp now start their season. So it's how do you know let's maximize that. How do we create different and unique experiences? What are you guys doing uh, from a jumbo shrimp standpoint that we might can try to implement into the baseball game? Um, and then but it's also how do we help promote them? Um, working through our channels with the city of how do we get a ticket special out to all the city employees? Um, how do we help spread the word about what they're doing? Is there uh, a press conference? Is there something that we can help uh, knock out and go on from that standpoint? You touched on having worked at Troy State. We talked about JU. You also had some time at the University of North Florida. What are some of the big differences when you're working for a university, a higher education institution, compared to working for a city government? Uh, working for city government is is it's an interesting animal because you're 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 a humble civil servant is is a big piece of the puzzle. But in doing that, 
you're you're working for the mayor and you've got to have a good relation good relationship with the senior staff of the of city hall but then you're also uh having to deal with issues where you're going to have to uh work with the council members and um at least here it was imperative to always make sure you're communicating with the council members make sure you're communicating with the senior staff hey here's some things popping coming up down the line you need to be aware of they may not happen today they may have but it may impact us when we get to budget time next spring um and in everything in city government hinges around your your budget and because that's how you define your priority the mayor at least in this form of government the mayor defines his priorities for the year um here's what i'm focused on we're going to uh, tackle this that and the other and but they put their uh, priorities through the budget process and that's and that was always the thing with with us was okay hey how can we 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 had to position ourselves within the budget process of not necessarily eating up a lot of space and bandwidth um so that way the administration could go focus on the uh, bigger ticket items that they need to uh, when you get to the campuses there's still some of that mindset a little bit but it's also you're working with a much more diverse group of people you've got to keep in the loop um you've got your senior staff you uh from a university you've got to keep in the loop but you've also got key donors coaches um the student athletes on some level um you've got to create relationships across campus with uh professors um and kind of blending all those together to make sure uh, everything's you're, you're checking all your boxes. Um, when, uh, one of the times at UNF, we were working on a scholarship donation that would affect, um, student athletes who were sports management majors. Well, now I've got to work with my friends in the sports management program. Hey, how does this affect you? I need to, I need to get your input. I also need to get the athletic department input where, what all do we need from this? And having to work forward from there on all those things, it, it was uh, it was a lot of fun, but it's a it was a, it's also a lot of work because you got to keep everybody in the flow. And it's different again now. You are in a private company, Airstream Ventures. So the difference is now as you pivot into that work environment of being that private company. Absolutely, and that's the the great thing about uh, where we're at now is we're able to do a lot of different things and we've got a little bit more flexibility. Um, <laughs> the one thing we've talked about, kiddingly talked about is, if you wanna check our emails, you better bring, <laughs> you gotta bring a lawsuit or something. It's not, you can't just send an email and say, hey, I want all of Joel's emails for the last two years. Um, it, and so the, the opportunity for us to be able to uh, work with our partners, both as destinations and venues, um, but work with everybody and pulling in the same direction to make sure we're able to get things done. Um, city government is not uh, very easily managed. Uh, getting things processed through city government, state government, whatever, is not an easy process. It is time-taking. It is tedious. Um, you've got to, the, just a, getting a bill passed through city council, that's six weeks. So it's not like I can go and say, hey, I need $100,000 to go get uh, U.S. soccer. Um, well, you got to work through that. You get it, 
it takes time. And so um, being able now on the private side, we're able to be much more nimble. How do we uh, work with all, all the partners and then bring them up to speed quickly when we need to, but also keeping them in the loop. Hey, this is some things that are coming down the pipe. Y'all may, y'all tell us how y'all want to handle it. Um, and we're able to make some shifts from that standpoint, which uh, has made it a, a, a lot easier on us to do what we, what we do. You talk about doing music events as well. How similar is that? Is, is an event an event an event or are the music events really their own separate piece? Obviously there's the different technical aspects, but in terms of yeah. the event operation. For the most part, the event operation is, is the same. Um, I feel like th there, there are subtle differences. Um, you know, instead of having two teams, you've got 10 artists. Uh, so you schedule the locker rooms like you would for teams and you put them in there. Um, you got to deal with meet and greets. I, I, the bigger thing is usually um, you've got more levels and experiences to sell a little bit from the music side. Hey, you got to meet and greet. Um, you've got uh, the pre-event, get in. You got the VIP areas. Um, but it's also the, the bigger piece in a concert is providing a first-class experience. If you're doing a sporting event and your team loses, well, nine times out of ten, people are going to be like, God, that sucked. That was, you know. <laughs> but if the team's winning, oh, man, that, you know, your hot dog could have been cold and your drinks are hot. And uh, you know what? We got to win. That's all that matters. <laughs> that's, that's the difference. When you go to a concert, nobody wins and loses. You've got um, – People are going to have fun. They're going to have a great experience and they expect a certain level of service that you need to provide. And that's, that's usually where uh, you're really focusing on is what's that process like from the minute they enter the parking lot to the time they enter the facility. And, uh, and then as they leave, how's that process, you know, you want to make it as seamless and as stressless as possible from beginning to end. Several people that I've talked to uh, in recording episodes for this have mentioned that they can't consume an event the same way anymore because when they're watching or attending something, they're definitely being more observant to what's going on. Is that the case for you? And if so, how do you track those observations? Um, it, it, it is and it isn't. There are certain times I will kind of unplug myself out of that mode. Um, and it, and usually those are the times where it's like, I'm, I've got the, my son with me or I got the family with me. The, the, the missus comes along and sometimes those times we'll unplug a little bit and kind of enjoy it. Um, you know, when we go to a jumbo shrimp game, you know, I'm not worried about, oh, God, look, look at that concession line. God, it's awful. I'm not worried about it unless I'm in the line and then I'm texting one of my guys and like, hey, where's the concession line short? Hook <laughs> me up. Where can I go? Uh, I'm trying to give you money. Um, so uh, it, it's some of that, you know, especially here, you know, I I, I try to, if, if I'm going to an event, I, I – Afterwards, I usually text the guys and 
or uh, ladies and, hey, thanks for, hey, we came out, had a blast. Hey, here's here's something that, uh, you know, we loved and, you know, or, hey, I'm not sure if you saw this or not, you know, because I know from my standpoint, if there was an issue from an experience standpoint, I would want to know about it and, and be able to address it and fix it going forward. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think the, the funny part is, is that you, you, you look at things so critically though, when you're, you're watching an, uh, like watching an NFL game, Hey, how did that guy, Oh, that guy's down on the field and he doesn't have a bib on here in the first quarter. How long, you know, you're kind of like sitting there with a stopwatch. How long until the security guy comes and gets him and gets him off the field? Um, it's some of those little things that you're kind of like, I, that's what I always love watching um, an SEC football game compared to an NFL game. NFL, there's nobody on the sideline. <laughs> the fourth quarter of an SEC football game, if a guy goes out of bounds, he's hitting at least 20 people, and it's like everybody and their mother now has a press pass to get down uh, outside of the team zones. And I'm just like – and knowing some of the guys in the – in the SEC, they're all like, it's driving them nuts. <laughs> you've got all these people down there. You've got a job to do, but you've also got to take care of all these other people. And it, I, 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 that's one of my favorite things to just sit back and watch. Like, good Lord, look at all the nasty man sidelines. I want to close with some rapid fire questions. What's the favorite event you have had the opportunity to work on? Uh, it's gotta be the NCA tournament. It's been, it's been a blast. Every, every time we've hosted, it's been fun. What's an event you most want the chance to be involved with? That's a great question. There are a ton of them. I would love an opportunity to probably do another, uh, if possible, another USGA championship, men's golf, women's golf, something big on, on the national level from that standpoint. Again. What's the favorite event you've attended as a fan? Favorite event I've attended as a fan. Um, it could have been the 2015 FCS national championship game. If Carson Wentz hadn't got healed at North Dakota state, um, then Jackson state might could have had a chance in the national championship game. Uh, uh, from a fan standpoint, I think the the biggest ones I have is, is here lately has been the last two couple years is watching my son play and really enjoying seeing him blossom a little bit. The light's gone off. Oh, this is how I play basketball. Oh, I can do this. Oh, this is how you play baseball. And not that he's not he's he's now not picking flowers in the outfield. But he's really like, oh, here are the three things I need to do with my swing. I need to have my elbow up. I need to have my eye on the ball. You know, certain little things that he's now picked up. And it's kind of like, okay, it's getting it. And that that has been a blast to watch. What's at the top of your bucket list to get to as a fan? Well, number one is always is, and you can never go enough, is Augusta. Um, I've been twice. I've been fortunate to go twice, um, and every time you go, you you know that you may never get back again. 
Um, so obviously that's always, I, I would love to go back. Um, from a fan standpoint, I would love to go to the British Open once. I think that would be, and I would love to go at either St. Andrews or Carnoustie. And St. Andrews, obviously the birthplace of golf and everything, but Carnoustie, just because it's such a difficult golf course. And I think that that's the one where you can really get a sense of the grind of what it takes to win an open championship and being a huge golf lover that I am. I think that would, that one's the one that would be a blast to go to. I want to close with the set pieces as I do every episode here. Uh, and start with what are podcasts or newsletters that you subscribe to or pay attention to to stay informed and keep learning? Um, I think it's, it, I, I've gotten big on like the news, uh, college sports uh, podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pat Ford, and Pete Thamel. That one's been, it's, it's partly humorous, but it's also partly uh, newsworthy and you can get a good grasp of what's going on. Um, I listen to a lot of our local, the, the bad thing is I still listen to a lot of our local sports talk stuff. So I, the, the podcasts are getting, we're getting into it a little bit more, but not as much as, as, uh, I want to, but then, uh, and during the quarantine, my commute has been dropped down from 30 minutes to 10. So not in the car nearly as much to listen to stuff. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of changed my intake a little bit on that. Any industry newsletters that you pay attention to? Um, there's several um, through. Uh, we have one through the Florida Sports Foundation that um, I follow closely. Um, we've got uh, several through the tourism industry of uh, following w- what's going on. Uh, what are the event? What what are the bids that are coming out? And then um, the other one is uh, the D1 ticker to see what's going on in college athletics. Being in Northeast Florida and having a number of schools, there's always uh, we're always trying to see if there's an opportunity for us to do something in the college world. Um, and so if there is, being able to keep an eye on what's going on from that standpoint. Who are your most valuable follows? The social media posts from people you don't want to miss. The number one is my, my guy, uh, Ryan Brown, with uh, Jocks in uh, Birmingham. Ryan and I are uh, old friends from college. So if he puts something out, I got to double check that one. Uh, even if it's his golf score for the day, uh, <laughs> make, A, we got to make sure that Ryan's golf score is legit. But uh, B, making sure, you know, what's going on uh, in uh, Birmingham. Um, the guys here locally trying to keep up with what's going on here, uh, whether it's Cole Pepper, Brent Martineau, um, uh, Chris Porter, anybody at our local uh, sports talk station, whether it's Frank Frangi or uh, Mike Dempsey or Hicken and Prosser in the morning, just trying to, th- those are kind of the key ones to me. Is there something that's popped up in the sports world um, locally that I need to be aware of that, we need to be focused on, uh, you know, uh, Gene Fournette with the Times Union, um, Clayton Freeman, those guys do a great job, but it's, you know, trying to keep up with that. And then what, and they usually are also keeping up with what's the, if there's a big story citywide that's breaking, they're uh, chiming in with those two. 
What are a couple of books you would recommend for people to read? Uh, well, first, there's a great book called Chasing Glory by Joel Lamp on Amazon.com. I think everybody <laughs> should go out and buy six copies of. Um, and what is that about? That is about a small school named Alabama Tech uh, that uh, decides it's going to become a major football power in how uh, they wind their way through a small town uh, group to become a major football uh, power in one kind of take you through one season. Um, and so I'm working on the sequel of that uh, other book. I'm, I'm a huge John Grisham guy. So everything he writes, I buy like within uh, five minutes of it going on pre-sale. Um, the other ones, I'm a huge Jim Collins fan. So good to great and built to last. Those are two uh, books. Also, uh, John Gordon, he does a phenomenal job with his books, uh, whether it's leadership, whether it's uh, personal inspiration. Um, he, he's a, he's a great guy, but B he is a fabulous uh, thinker in the leadership realm and anything he writes. Um, I'm reading his books constantly. What are you streaming right now? TV music. What's, what's getting your, your eye and your ear. Um, streaming. Uh, so now that we're past the masters, I've now watched, I'm now done watching everything in the, uh, the masters for a while until probably next year. Um, it, and it's funny, we're doing this via zoom and I've got my, my guy Lyle standing in the bunker on hit 18, having just knocked it to eight feet to uh, win the masters. Um, it, it, that was fun during, and that's kind of the great thing during the quarantine. You got to go down YouTube rabbit holes, and <laughs> I know I'm watching the Masters from like 1980, and how Seve wins, and uh, Scott Hoax, you know, just all those. I it it was fun, and then kind of showing my son some of the play. Like uh, we we had one night we went through the '86 baseball playoffs. Um, which is unique because everybody, every team in that playoff, all four teams got down to one, they had one strike left in their season at some point in that, in that uh, the whole, whole uh, playoffs. And obviously everybody remembers the, the ground ball through Buckner's legs, but what people don't realize is the, two wild pitches and that the ground ball, all it did was win the game. It was the play before tied it and guaranteed it was going to, to another inning anyway. Um, and then the, the 16 inning game in game six of the NLCS where the Mets know that they've got to win or because they can't beat Mike Scott in game seven and they're down three, nothing in the ninth and come back and score three in the ninth to force extra innings and then the game. And the best part is when we were watching it, it's one of the things, and I mean, now this is 34 years later. I was six, seven at the time that Keith Jackson is doing play by play of a baseball game. And it's like, what the, why is Keith Jackson doing a, he's a football guy. And you forget that ABC had like Monday night baseball. Keith Jackson was the voice of that. 
all this. And, and then the best part is they're supposed to lead up into game five of the ALCS. They're blowing through. Like game five gets done and here, here come, but it's only aired in like Boston and California. It's just, it's a reminder of how different times are. And so from that's been the big thing for us here. Streaming is, is that, and then uh, catching up on, uh, we watched the misses and I watched lost during the quarantine. Um, and then we just started Homeland. What's your favorite sports memory as a kid? Favorite sports memory as a kid. Um, golly, that's a, a, the, the one that got me hooked on college football was Doug Flutie's Hail Mary um, to beat Miami. Um, mm-hmm. You've got a kid in North Alabama who, who's six years old at the time, and he has no idea where Boston is, and he sure as heck doesn't know where Miami is. And all of a sudden, it's Thanksgiving, and you watch this little guy sling it 60 yards. The next day, I'm running around the neighborhood with a football, flinging it, yelling, touchdown, BC! And, and so everybody's like, why is he yelling out, what the heck, the BC? And all this stuff. And so um, – that that's the one that really uh, that's kind of the first real sports memory I have, and it's the one that I, I it's between and and then that starts my love affair with Boston College as a as a kid, and then it culminates with the the ninety two ninety three year where um, ninety two football season they beat Notre Dame when Notre Dame was number one on the field goal, and our kicker. Uh, had missed the field goal to beat Northwestern in the opener. If he makes that, that game is like another one versus two at that point because Boston College would have been undefeated. Um, and then the basketball team makes it to the Elite Eight and loses to Florida. And so, like, I'd already – I would, I just got my driver's license. I was like, I will drive to North Carolina to watch BC in the Final Four. I, I don't care. I will sneak in the building, whatever it takes. I'm going to see him play in the Final Four. They didn't even make it, but you know, those, those were some of the the ones that I remember the most. And then, uh, you know, just the memories of playing with the uh, friends growing up. Uh, we had a neighborhood about twelve of us that lived within like four blocks of each other. So we'd get out of school, go over to uh, what whoever's house had the field. So there was one guy who had the football field. I had the wiffle ball field. Another guy had the golf course. We all had different <laughs> different sports facilities that we had in our in our our house led to it. And so we would all get together. We'd play till the street lights came on and everybody's mom started yelling and um and having a blast. And and that's and the best part is growing up in North Alabama in the eighties, you didn't have you didn't have professional sports teams. So when you walk through our neighborhood, it looked like the NFL pro shop had just thrown up on everybody. <laughs> you have somebody in a Saint shirt. Nobody wore Falcons because the Falcons sucked back then. Um, you had, I was wearing a Patriot shirt. Uh, a buddy of mine was wearing a Bronco shirt. Another guy was wearing Dolphins. Uh, you know, it, nobody was wearing Atlanta stuff. And Atlanta's the closest NFL team. We're all – just whoever was your favorite player, that was your team. And so 
uh, it's funny looking back at it now, everybody, when we get together and talk, it's like, golly, you remember when you used to wear that Patriot shirt all the time? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been the last 20 years. It sucked growing up, but it was, it's been fun the last 20 years. We close every episode of credentials only with this question from all the events you've worked. Do you keep those credentials? And if so, where is that collection? I keep, I try to keep as many as I can. And at some point I'm going to do something with them. Um, there are certain ones that I've already got framed. Um, when we went to the NCAA tournament in 2003 at Troy state um, and we, it was the first time we made it uh, as a division one school. And so I've got the, all the stuff kind of in a shadow box frame um, that I've got at the office. Um, I've got a collection of other credentials. Um, they sit in an envelope in the desk drawer uh, to my right here at home. And I've got them just uh, ready to go. Uh, just, <laughs> I just got to figure out what the heck I'm going to do with them. Awesome. Well, Joel, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you joining me here on Credentials Only. Thanks, Pete, for having me. This has been a blast. That trip down memory lane sounds like a tremendous way to have spent the quarantine period, especially as he was able to share so much of that with his son. There are links to many of those memories he referenced, along with much more supplemental information in the show notes on credentialsonly.com. While you are there, Drop us your email address so we can slide into your inbox when we have a new episode to share. I want to again thank Joel Lamp for taking the time to join us, and thanks to you for listening. Credentials Only is a Holter Media production and is edited by Mike Boucher. Let me know what you thought by leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and please give us a follow on your favorite social media channels. 